with elevated volatility in the fixed income market, with yields on the rise, you know, what do we do and how do we look to position ourselves going forward? Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As market volatility continues to surge this week, you may be considering alternative positions for your client portfolios with a view to reduce risk. In this episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro, along with your host Mark Rays, offer valuable insights on exposures that provide a level of defense in both equities and fixed income. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF call where we get insights uh, and market commentary from our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMOGAN Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by two of our portfolio managers, Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro. Chris is responsible for some of our equity ETF strategies uh, and as well as derivative-based strategies. Uh, and Matt focuses on fixed income ETFs. Markets have been a fair bit choppier over the past couple of weeks. Uh, certainly a reminder of the heightened valuations of some of the growth names that are out there and that have dominated market returns. For those that still want that exposure and want to add growth, but also want some protection on the downside, can you speak to our global quality ETF, said GQ? Uh, providing an update in your outlook on the quality factor. Thanks. Certainly, and um, you know, quality is the, the one factor we've talked about probably the most uh, over the last year or so on, on these podcasts as it is or has been our preferred method for, for playing that equity market growth theme. Um, you know, I like to think of that as investing for growth, but in a responsible way. Um, what you're doing is investing in companies that are generally well-established, have low levels of debt and consistent return streams with, with high um, ROEs and high, high return on equity. And so that formula obviously just makes a lot of sense for any growth-oriented investor. Um, and what we have seen over the past year, certainly since the March lows, is that that quality theme really has dominated the market in terms of growth potential and, and performance. If the recovery is uneven, and I think there's pretty broad consensus that, you know, certainly second half of 2021 leading into early 2022, we're going to see significant growth in GDP globally uh, because there is such pent up demand for services and things that people have not been spending on. But once that first sort of wave is over, um, does that take care of the huge numbers of, of unemployment that we still see? Is that going to be swept up? Um, by the demand that we're going to see, or will there still be some lingering effects um, of the of the lockdowns that we've had globally and, and of the slower economic growth? And so that unevenness, we think, argues for investing in these quality companies that will be able to weather any continued downturns there might be or any uneven growth that we see globally, but also you know regionally as well. Um, and so 
we, th we think that continues to be a good way to provide that growth potential of the equity markets. Um, and as you mentioned, giving some level of downside protection uh, as if there are continued market sell-offs or, or further market sell-offs related to uneven economic growth, we think these companies are the ones that will best withstand those sort of um, uneven periods, again, because of their um, capital positioning, low levels of debt, and consistent and um, expected return streams uh, out of their earnings. And so we think that's still going to be a, a good place to be as this reopening trade continues and as, you know, again, riding out the, the sort of uneven um, things that we might be able to, that we expect will happen as the reopening trade takes place. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. That's a very valuable update. Um, I want to stay on this growth theme, though. For those looking to diversify their growth drivers, maybe a little bit away from technology and some of those new economy names, um, can you introduce our new genomic innovation ETF, ZGEN, and speak to a few of the companies driving performance in this disruptive theme? Thanks. Sure, and this is, as you mentioned, one of our, our newer ETFs that we've launched, obviously with a bit more of a narrow focus um, focusing on that genomic innovation theme. Um, this covers anything from gene editing, um, bioinformatics, molecular diagnostics, and, and that sort of thing. And so, again, a very more narrowly focused uh, ETF and exposure, but one that we think can provide that outsized growth potential over the next, you know, let's call it long-term, you know, five plus years or so. Um, and in terms of some of the companies that are in there, you know, I, I guess I'll start with one that, um, you know, it's actually very popular uh, right now is Moderna, um, focusing on vaccines using the mRNA technology. And that's um, obviously very popular right now with one of the first uh, vaccines against, against COVID-19. Um, this is something, though, that Moderna the, and that mRNA platform has been focusing on for a number of years. Um, and in fact, have been spending a lot of their time focused on uh, cancer vaccines, believe it or not. Um, and this new sort of technology to create vaccines, this mRNA approach, um, has a, a strong potential because, um, you know, these vaccines potentially have higher potency against uh, disease, but also uh, very rapid development. And that's what we saw, of course, in 2020. It's a very rapid development of a potential vaccine. Um, you know, I think it was November when uh, the vaccine was approved for use, but it was actually only a number of weeks before they developed uh, that vaccine and then went through the various testing phases um, to get to that ultimate approval. And so very, very potentially quick turnaround in creating vaccines for, for disease um, and potentially low-cost manufacturing as well. So that's something that Moderna has focused on, obviously has been uh, successful uh, with the COVID vaccine, um, but looks to apply that in, in many other areas as well. Um, also, one of the other top holdings in this in this ETF is uh, Illumina, and they're more of uh, a technology base for um, gene sequencing. And you know, th they provide a platform for for various um, different other providers in in the healthcare space and in that gene sequencing and, and gene analysis area. Um, the technology here. Um, has taken the cost of uh, sequencing a human genome, you know, call it about 15 years ago, that, that might have cost a million dollars. But because of Illumina's technology platform, that cost has come down significantly to about a thousand dollars. And so just a lot more research can go into 
um, you know, gene editing and gene sequencing. And so that's something, the role that Illumina plays there. But also what you're getting in this, in this ETF is some of those more traditional uh, pharmaceuticals like Bristol-Myers, Squibb, uh, Roche, and Bayer as well. Um, so some of those more well-known names are, are in this portfolio also. And maybe the last one I'll just throw in is Teladoc. So this is, um, you know, reaching doctors over, over the telephone or through other virtual means or, or you know, video conferencing and things like that. So a, a new way to interact with the healthcare industry and healthcare professionals that we've seen become necessary because of COVID-19, but we think will obviously continue um, going forward. Um, and so that's just some of the areas that this, uh, ETF ZGEN is, is providing exposure to, and again, long-term growth potential we think could be very significant um, in this area with some of these companies. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I think uh, you know, key takeaways for me is it really is a, a good diversifier against some of your, your other growth areas of the market, but as well, so timely, right, with all the the energy and, and, and money that's gone into development of fighting COVID-19. Uh, you know, you think that's going to continue to pay off for years to come as, as research really is picked up with these firms. Yeah, exactly. Matt, I'd, I'd love, like to come your way now uh, to talk a little bit about fixed income. Uh, we've finally seen Treasury yields flatten a little bit over the past week after what I'll call a pretty remarkable uh, yield pickup uh, on the 10-year bond over the course of the month. As the curve steepens, can you speak to portfolio positioning using our uh, segmented midterm ETFs? So that would be our federals, our provincials, our corporates. And where would you be looking to establish or even add to a position, a position right now uh, across those three? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So, you know, with equity markets being choppy in February, you know, as you had you know, alluded to, February was quite the ride for fixed income. You know, yields really soared, uh, and we saw our first negative returns in fixed income basically since March, which is quite remarkable in terms of uh, the fixed income returns that, that we've seen from much of 2020. 10-year yields started the month at 88 basis points and soared to 148 before finally starting to come back down to earth and, and now settling around 133. You know, with rates seemingly locked in in the front end, uh, you know, I think we're facing one of the steepest yield curves that we've seen since uh, when I look back about June 2015. So, and it wasn't just that the amount of change uh, in, in yields, it's also the velocity of change. If, if you know, we look at the, um, the move index, which tracks the volatility of the fixed income market, you know, that spiked to levels that we haven't seen since March. And, and that's a little bit worrisome and something to, to definitely uh, keep an eye on as we move forward into 2021. So, you know, with, with elevated volatility in the fixed income market, with yields on the rise, you know, what do we do and how do we look to position ourselves going forward? So, you know, I do expect volatility in the fixed income market over the near term uh, to continue. Um, I think it really depends on how, provinces and states begin to roll out or continue to roll out vaccines and, and continue to reopen. Just yesterday, we saw, you know, Texas and Mississippi announced that they are just fully reopening. And, and it's going to be telling to see how that goes. If, if it's successful, maybe other states and provinces will expedite the process. You know, if we see a big increase in, in COVID cases, you know, maybe that slows things down. But overall, I think two things 
I know is I think volatility is is here uh, to stay in in the near term, but there's overall optimism that at some point in 2021, you know, we're looking at both the U.S. and and, and Canadian economies to to reopen, and I think what that is going to lead to is a continued yield rally and overall rising rates. So in this environment, I think fixed income investors should look to protect themselves. You know, I would look at corporate exposure specifically, you know, using uh, credit spreads as a way to protect or insulate your portfolio from the impact of rising interest rates. So although we have seen significant tightening, uh, credit spreads still do remain slightly wider than pre-COVID, and they are hovering around recent historical norms. So we're not in a, in a, in a uh, uh, even though we've seen almost a year of credit spread tightening, we're not in a period where we're saying, okay, look, there's so, this is, credit, credit is completely overvalued here. So I do think that there's still value in credit, uh, and I think credit right now is, is a perfect way to protect yourself from that interest rate uh, impact of, of the trend of, of rising rates. So overall, though, I would look to be reducing uh, my duration. Uh, I would look at something like ZCM, so our mid-corporate or ZCS, to just overall reduce the duration impact in your portfolio. Um, you know, you really want to, you're not going to eliminate it because I do think that there's volatility and having a little bit of duration exposure does provide some stability, but you just want to uh, reduce it a little bit so that you're not, uh, you're not seeing large negative returns if, if rates continue to rise. And two other options that I think are, are an interesting uh, hybrid here would be um, ZQB and ZBBB. So, you know, I think these are both prudent from a duration positioning. So they, they provide one to 10-year exposure uh, and provide durations about three and a half to four and a half years. So you're actually getting that hybrid of ZCS, short-term, and ZCM, that midterm exposure, um, but in, in one ETF. And I think right now with, with where we are, I would want to be reducing my re- duration, but not completely eliminating it um, at this point. You know, ZQB provides exposure to quality bonds, so A-rated bonds and above. And I think this is for the investor who, you know, wants that that little bit, wants to reduce, uh, sorry, wants to reduce their duration exposure, and is a little bit concerned about some of the high beta credit names. You know, potentially if the uh, reopening of the economy is slower than expected, you know, maybe some of these uh, these co- companies are forced to uh, get downgraded or or or. or face uh, some challenges in the market. So ZQB would insulate you from that kind of downside risk. Where other investors who are looking for a little bit more yield in the portfolio, using ZBBB gets you about a 60 basis point um, increase in yield versus ZQB. You're, you know, as, as you discussed, as I discussed just earlier, you know, credit spreads are not at a point where they're unrealistic and completely overbought. So I do think it's prudent to look at something like this. And, you know, that added credit spread would just provide an additional cushion for if and when rates continue to rise, uh, it can offset some of that interest rate impact. So, you know, overall, I would be really looking at my credit exposure, looking to focus on my corporate uh, exposure. And I think, you know, using any uh, a combination of ZCS, ZCM, ZQB, or ZBBB, uh, I think would all be prudent right now to help uh, ride the wave of, of rising rates. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our Deep Dive episodes, where we take you under the hood of BMO Gam's product suite. Check out episode 58 in this same podcast series, where we take a deeper look at BMO's suite of innovation ETFs, which build on megatrends like clean energy, fintech, genomics, autonomous technology, and next-generation internet. Fascinating themes with long-term exponential growth potential. Got another one going back to Chris here. Uh, if we look at the major regional building blocks for, for the equity side of your book, so Canada, U.S., international EM, uh, Canada is leading in returns year to date, which you know might be a surprise to some as we've been talking a fair bit about the U.S. and, and even some about uh, emerging markets. Can you comment on the performance of the Canadian market? What's driving these returns? And as well, your outlook for Canada for the remainder of the year. Thanks. Sure, and there's there's actually a couple of different things I think happening in the Canadian market, and um, I think it actually sets it up well for the rest of the year uh, in terms of growth potential. But um, you know, first let's start with um, what everyone associates with with Canada is the Canadian banks, that financial sector. Um, obviously, a very large part of the overall index. I think financials in general are about thirty percent, with the banks being a good chunk of that. Um, you know, with the the interest rate moves that, that Matt was talking about with that 10-year yield spiking over the last couple of months and that um, overall um, fixed income curve, you know, starting to steepen again, you know, banks have really benefited from that both in Canada and the U.S. Um, and looking back, not just, you know, year to date, but, you know, including the last couple of months of, of 2020, um, you know, Canadian banks are up in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 percent um, as, again, expected to benefit from a, the steepening of that yield curve, but also potentially a, a, a quicker reopening and, um, than, than what might have previously been thought and, and maybe less you know, bad, um, bad loans than, than what was previously thought as well. So as banks start to reduce their, their loan loss provisions as well as ride that yield curve um, steepening, um, performance has been very, very strong there. And then the other area that's worked well for Canada is, you know, really, um, you know, that commodity space. Um, you know, Canada has a large degree of commodity exposure in the index. And, you know, commodities in general are leveraged to that global growth, to global GDP growth. Whether that's oil, um, specifically, you know, sitting around $60 a barrel now, um, you know, propping up some of those oil and energy companies, but also in the material sector. So a lot of these mining companies, tech resources, for example, um, you know, those, those, those base metals, copper, zinc, et cetera, um, all go into that global growth, all go into manufacturing. Um, and so, you know, commodity prices, I think, um, have, have done very well. And you can make the case that they should be su- supported for, for the coming year or two as well, as again, that uh, reopening trade happens and GDP growth continues to accelerate. Um, and then so also, you know, tied to that is, you know, the industrial exposure. And that's, that's largely, you know, the railroads in, in Canada, but a couple others as well. Um, also tied to global economic activity, not just Canadian, but, but globally. Um, and so, you know, we've benefited from that as well. And maybe one last thing I'll throw in there, maybe as a bit of a surprise, by the way, information technology sector is now 10% um, of the Canadian broad market index. And certainly a large portion of that is Shopify. Um, being the largest um, stock in the index right now, but also a couple others like Constellation Software and CGI. So, you know, a couple of those names that are leveraged to, let's call it the new economy, 
know, Shopify obviously empowering a lot of online e-commerce and actually has more uh, vendors than Amazon's third-party vendors now. Um, and so lar- that, that network obviously being larger than, than what Amazon used to be. Um, and so we've seen tremendous growth there as well. So I think what, what we're starting to see is a real balancing out of exposures that we see in Canada. So from the financials that are largely, you know, Canadian focused in terms of um, their exposure to growth. But again, the energy, the materials, technology and, and industrials, um, you know, all having pretty decent representation in the index as well creates a nice diversified exposure um, for Canadian investors. And so, again, we think this will continue. We think, again, the case for commodities um, and commodity prices being uh, being supported uh should take hold again over the next year or two. We think that that's not going to change. Um, and for financials, you know, the yield curve doesn't need to continue steepening. It just needs to be a bit more normalized, like we're starting to see. Um, you know, about a year ago at this time, everyone was concerned about a flat yield curve um, or even inverted and what that meant for financials and for the economy. Um, and now we're back to somewhat of a bit more normal um, steepening of the yield curve. And so they don't, it doesn't have to necessarily get even steeper than it is now. It just has to kind of stay where it is um, and, and banks should be able to benefit from that. So we do like um, Canadian exposure going forward. Um, we think a lot of the things that have been driving um, the returns out of Canada over the last couple of months should continue for the rest of this year and potentially into 2022 as well. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And I think what's important to hear there is there's a diversified group of drivers. It's not just one thing. So certainly gives you greater confidence uh, in the market performance that way. So at this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line for Chris and Matt. Yes, hi. Um, thanks again for the comments. Really appreciate that. I just wanted to ask, uh, in this environment, uh, where the long end of the curve is, you know, selling off. Would you recommend a shorten migration? Uh, and if so, how much? And I'm currently holding Zag right now. Thank you. Sure, I can I can take that one. Thanks for the question. Um, overall, I, I I still think Zag is a, a prudent core holding in a portfolio at, you know, a, a eight base point C and and Zag, given it it is the entire aggregate universe, you're going to have a portion of that portfolio that uh, is able to outperform basically during any environment. Um, So overall, I do think Zag is still prudent to maintain it as the core of your fixed income portfolio, but I don't think it's a bad idea to look to complement that core uh, with a shorter duration product. So as I discussed in uh, a little bit earlier, I think adding ZCS or ZQB or ZBBB, uh, reducing your overall um, duration exposure in your portfolio, I think would be a great complement right now. I think what, you're, you, what you'd be able to do is reduce some of your uh, interest rate exposure, but while uh, maintaining a little bit of an overweight in credit. So you, you'd be able to protect yourself in two ways through this complement while maintaining kind of a, a low-cost core solution that still has a lot of those inherent benefits. So, you know, overall, I think it's, it's not time to panic and say, oh, I need to completely eliminate duration from my portfolio. You know, I think there's still, given, you know, we 
are expecting to see volatility in the near term, I think that that duration exposure does provide a little bit of a ballast in the portfolio in that stabilizer. So, you know, I think it'd be something to look at a complement using uh, some of our shorter duration ETFs, the GS, the QB, the triple B, um, you know, basically going overweight credit, shortening your duration overall, and kind of using that uh, core satellite type approach that uh, will allow you to hopefully uh, kind of weather this storm going forward. Hi, good morning. Uh, my question is uh, on a new ETF you launched, ZWT. I currently actually hold a number of your cover call options across my models, and I like the, the yield that these cover call options offer. I'll be in constant discussion with some of my clients just on the trade-off and upside growth for yield. And I noticed, you know, ZWT, I just want to understand a little bit more around the strategy and, and your outlook, if you could share that on both the growth and yield in this ETF, uh, maybe, you know, how active are you in the call writing and, and how do you see ZWT working alongside QQQ as a complement, for example? Thank you. Sure. And, you know, ZWT, um, as you mentioned, a little bit different than uh, some of the other covered call strategies that uh, we've launched in, in, in recent years. You know, for the most part, uh, most of our covered call funds start with a, a healthy dividend yield coming from the underlying equities that we hold. And then we look to complement that uh, income stream with some, with some option overwriting to generate additional cash flow through call premiums. And as you say, trading away a little bit of the potential upside in, in order to do so. With ZWT, um, we're really going into a different sector that we that we don't have as much exposure to in, in the covered call space. And what we're starting with there is we do have mature technology-related companies um, in that portfolio, but generally most of them don't pay a, a very high dividend. So we're starting with a lower dividend base in this portfolio, sub, sub 1%. Um, but what we are getting, because the underlying equities are um, a bit more volatile than some of the other covered call funds that we have, we're able to generate a higher level of option premiums than we might in some of our other funds. So, you know, somewhere in the range of 5% annualized is what we think we can get from the covered call option premiums while still allowing a decent amount of growth potential to take place. Um, you know, for example, um, our recent um, option writing within this fund averaged about 14% out of the money. Um, and so what we do with this fund uh, in the, option overlay is very, very similar to what we do with our other covered call funds. Uh, we only cover about half the portfolio. So half the portfolio is completely uncapped and, and can achieve all the growth of the underlying equities. Um, and then that other half of the portfolio is covered uh, with call options. And so that trade-off between growth and income starts to take place. Now, what you'll see in this portfolio is that the trade-off starts to happen a lot higher than some of our other covered call funds. So, um, you know, the, the options we wrote in ZWT were on average about 14% out of the money um, in that one to two month um, expiry range. So that means the portfolio, the underlying portfolio can, can go up 14% before there's any trade-off made between growth and income. And you're still capital, you're still capturing all of that option premium as well. So, what you get with this fund relative to our other covered call funds is a little bit less on the total income because, again, the dividends are, are, are just not there. You're, you're still getting a decent uh, income from the call options, um, but you're getting higher growth potential than, than you might out of uh, some of our other funds. 
Um, in our other covered call funds, we will say on average, you know, rule of thumb, you might get about 5% out of the money on the options we write. Um, in, and, and the option premium is in that 2 to 4% annualized range. With this fund, um, you know, that, that moneyness is a little bit higher. As I mentioned, it was 14%. Um, out of the gate, you know, we do expect that will come down a little bit in coming months, you know, maybe around the 10% range. But you are going to get closer to that 4 to 5% annualized option premium. So a decent level of option premium is still a lot of potential for growth as well. Um, and in terms of pairing that with, you know, another technology-related ETF, you know, I would suggest for Canadian investors uh, ZQQ or ZNQ rather than QQQ. Um, but certainly, you know, if you want that technology exposure with an income stream, you can blend this fund with, with another technology-related ETF um, in the proper proportion in order to get whatever income stream you're looking for. Um, but again, we do expect about a 5% net distribution out of ZWT coming from largely those option premiums, a little bit coming from dividends, but largely those option premiums with still a, a healthy level of, of growth potential. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, once again, we, we appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. Uh, and thanks, of course, for those questions, as well as to Matt and Chris. Uh, we appreciate your comments, uh, some great insights, uh, some good looks at the market, and as well, of course, some really good ideas to how to use Demo ETF to, to navigate around these somewhat choppy markets at the moment. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone one last time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you to Chris McKinney, Matt Montemuro, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard our experts talk about strategies to weather an uneven recovery. Within equity markets, they recommend the BMO MSCI All Country World High Quality Index ETF, ticker ZGQ. For fixed income investors looking to protect against rising rates, consider BMO's mid and short corporate bond ETFs, tickers ZCM and ZCS. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.